Hi there, I'm Lisa Kapala and welcome to Season 2. Can you believe it, folks? Season two of Bridging the Digital Divide. And this is our first episode in season two. Very exciting episode we have planned for you. I have my trusted guide, Sherpa guide, I like to call him, through the Bridging the Digital Divide, Brad McKenna. Hello, Brad. Hello, Lisa. Hey, it's been a couple weeks. It has. It's been summer, so things happen, you know, life. (laughs) Yeah. And we have right beside him, I'm very, very excited to have with us the most famous Julie Chen from UMass Lowell. She is vice chancellor of what? Of research and innovation. Wow. And that's why we have you here, because research and innovation. Who doesn't want to know about that? What does it mean that you're a vice chancellor? Uh, Well, the UMass system has uh, campuses and then the whole system. So the way it's set up is the head of each campus is a chancellor, and the head of the whole system is a president. So for UMass Lowell, vice chancellor is kind of like being the vice president of research and innovation. That might be a term that more people are familiar with. Wow. Thank you for coming out of your (laughs) illustrious and busy universe to visit with us. So you are working with an organization or I guess a building, I don't know, Technologies and Innovation Center? Is that you? uh, Yeah, the Emerging Technology and Innovation Center. That's one of the buildings that we have that really brings together uh, different types of technology from a a lot of different fields. And so it's really looking at cool emerging technologies. Yes, and I can't wait to hear about these cool emerging technologies. So first I want to thank Brad. Brad, thank you for finding Julie for us. Uh, She she does a lot with the library, so she's a... Uh, super patron, I guess. Hey. No capes, though. I'm no a capes. big fan. Yeah, yeah, definitely a big yeah. fan. And a Wilmington resident as <laughs> yes. well. So yeah. local girl makes plus years. Good. Yeah. Now, you originally came from New York, though, right? Rochester, New York. See, yeah. I do my research. Yeah. <laughs> but you've been living in Wilmington quite a long time, and you went yeah. to BU? And uh, I taught at BU for okay. uh, about five, six years. And, and my then, favorite, my favorite, yeah. MIT. Yeah, that's why, I, that's why I went for school. That's what brought me to yeah. actually Boston and Massachusetts right. and New England. So. And that's where maybe you got bit by the technology bug? Yeah, a lot of it. Because, you know, when you're a 17-year-old, you don't really know what anything is. So right. they go, oh, you're good in math and science. Why don't you try engineering, right? <laughs> right so it's right. like, okay, I don't really know what it is, but sounds right. good. Well, what really is engineering to you? Uh, to me, it is really applying math and science to interesting sort of everyday problems. Okay. So, so would you say engineering is a solution-based it, it, it tends to be situation? very uh, problem-solving oriented. Yeah. And, and it's everything from solving, right, how do, we, how do we diagnose and cure cancer to how do we send someone into space to, right, how do we make smartphones last longer before <laughs> right. the, the battery dies, right? right. So it's all like, like they would let you do that, Julie. Yeah. You, know, <laughs> you know if you discover that, that's going to be buried. So tell us a little bit about your experiences with technology, what you've learned and what your first experience with a computer maybe was. Yeah, a lot, long time ago, yes. I, I came from the, in high school was probably the first time, and that was back when they used punch cards, right? Wow, so right, I remember that. the punch cards, right? Um, and and that's when uh, you didn't realize it, but taking typing was probably the most useful skill that you Absolutely. could have learned back then. Uh, and never dropped them. And never dropped the punch Which cards. Which I had done a bunch of times <laughs> back Correct. in the day. Yeah, Correct. because they're, the kids who don't know that might be listening, they're like playing cards, only they're longer, and they have little holes in them, and that's how the machine would read the data. So if you drop them out of order, it would be just like missing pages from a story, and it would not work. Very it was good. really fun yeah. to try to put them back together. Yeah. Not. Yeah. Okay. Right. <laughs> so that was your first experience with that. And then yeah. where did you jump to from there? 
So when I was at MIT as an undergrad, that was when the uh, PC was really, you know, just emerging. They were, they were starting to have, you know, they were starting to show up, and it was this whole thing of there was this very crude email, essentially, system that was really just within the university. Right. And uh, so you were starting to see hints of it. Um, How'd you feel about it? Were you embracing it, or did you think it was a fluke? How did you uh, feel? I mean, you could see that it was it was still, um, you know, not smooth enough that really only the, the computer science folks really <laughs> right. got into it. Uh, and for me, I am a mechanical engineer, so oh, I okay. was more into sort of materials, yeah. taking things apart, putting them back together. The so, nuts and bolts of things. Yeah, the nuts and bolts. So you right. could see that it was going to have some effect, but... Um, it wasn't something that I probably yeah. did on a day You didn't embrace basis. it as easily because some of that technology is really almost mysterious and magical. It's kind of just <laughs> in the air. Yeah. So from an applied engineering point of view, there's nothing to take apart. There's nothing to see. They right. just tell you we wrote this program and it does this thing and yeah. we're supposed to buy into it, right? <laughs> but that's true. That's true. Now, Brad, your yeah. experiences with computers, I know we've talked a little bit yeah. before, but let's just give a little perspective of oh, where sure. you began. Yeah, so like uh, I like to tell people that when I was in high school, my first two years, I spent writing papers on a typewriter. Mm-hmm. And then the World Wide Web was invented and I spent the last two writing it on a computer. And so like I was in that age when like, the internet was commercialized. Right, right. Really. So like instead of command line, which is probably what the what Julie was yes. talking about with like emails, you don't have a GUI. You didn't have uh, a send button. You had to write command send or whatever. So that's why you had to really be into it because it was just code on a blinking screen and that's it. So that it wasn't it wasn't very pretty. And I, I could see some of that because in high school we had AOL was huge. Remember those discs you mm-hmm. used to get? Sure. So I used to get those. And so everything was kind of what they call a walled garden. So you sign on to AOL. And then you have access to the sites that they want you to have access oh. to. So stuff like that. So like in my high school experience and in, in college, it was, you could see where it was going. Yeah. Probably when you were in, in, right. in MIT, you were like, well, this is cool, but I'm not sure where it's going. So like between those, you can, there's a gradual progression. And then it speeds up, right? So you have a little bit and then you have a lot. Right. <laughs> and isn't that Moore's Law in real yes. practical application? Oh, you're yeah. impressed that I knew that. <laughs> oh, yeah, well, I went back and reviewed all our episodes. But yeah. really what you're talking about yeah. is, is a physical, actual feeling of yeah. Moore's Law happening to you because things are expanding and expanding and expanding as right. we know, right? That ever scare you, Julie? Uh, it does because it's hard to think about how do you keep up with all of it, right? Yes. I mean, because you learn it, you learn how to. You just get used to one system, and yes. suddenly okay. you're yes. three levels beyond that, <laughs> yes, right? We've said that and, a lot. Yeah, and I think I think that's one of the things that I realize because you know I, I look at my mom who doesn't even want to use a smartphone, right? right? Other than one that's like connected to the house, right? right. And and you realize that it, you'd have to sort of keep at least at some level connected with the technology. Otherwise, you're going to feel really sort of uncomfortable. And I you'll think, feel out of the loop, which is out part of, of why we're doing this program, so that people don't feel that sense of technology isn't for me, it's for the young. And yeah. that's really not true. It's for everybody, <laughs> right? really. But we do sometimes feel, well, at least us older folks like myself, sometimes <laughs> do feel left out of the situation when things are new. So, Julie, what is coming up in the world of technology that's new. Uh, we have yeah. about four hours for you to tell right? But in your particular world, you do a lot of research. You've got nanomedicine, yeah. manufacturing, mm-hmm. all kinds of stuff. So I guess we should start with composite materials, sure. maybe? Yeah. So let's talk about that. 
Yeah, so composite materials was really my first love because the mechanical engineering materials, trying to figure out how to make materials stronger, lighter, right, and have different properties from what they they start out with. Uh, and so a lot of it is, if you think about it, um, in the application area, if you think about it, right, right now for cars, we, we want to make them so that they don't use as much gasoline, right? right? So you want to make them lighter, but boy, if you're in an accident, you want to mm. make sure that they protect you, right? right? So that need to make something stiff and strong but light mm. uh, <laughs> is possible by using composite materials because we mix different materials to get the best of all pe- all all types. Okay. Have there been any incidences where you were creating one thing and you found another thing came out of that? You were having a certain recipe, you wanted to do a certain thing, and then you went, lo and behold, it does this. Yeah. Does that ever happen? It, it does happen. I think the, the interesting thing is that uh, also the applications you find okay. are very different. So you might look, for instance, we started out, happened that we had a project that was more automotive related. And then suddenly wind energy came, became a big thing. And you realize that these gigantic wind turbine blades is a perfect application of having something that's very light but strong and stiff. Hmm. So you can make a huge 90-meter wind blade, and it wasn't going to, you know, crack in half because it was strong and stiff and light enough. Interesting. How do you get all of the specialties, all of the different kinds of engineering that there are, to work together? Because I'll bet you didn't wake up and think, ooh, windmill. It just sort of <laughs> happened and you said, let's try that, right? So if right. The, I guess what I'm getting at is if the different engineering groups don't get together and communicate, yeah. then we're not going to be able to meld all of our technologies. And when I was in college, the plastics engineers guys, and I went to you, Lowell, before, oh, when yeah. it was, you, you know, now yeah, it's yeah. UMass, yeah. Uh, the plastic engineer guys did not talk to the mechanical engineer guys. There was sort of a feeling of you do your own thing, we'll do our own thing. Uh So has that changed? Um, In in pockets, and it's something that we're actually very focused on trying to do. So we just opened what we call the Fabric Discovery Center uh, a little bit over a month ago. And the whole view of that is to bring smart textiles together with flexible electronics, together with the robotics people, and with the physical therapy people. Oh, I love so it. You, I know. So you, I love it. you figure, so we also have the fashion people. Right. So, <laughs> so it has to look good, too. It, right. If you're going to do a wearable whatever, right, right. it's got to be something people are going to want to put on their body. Interesting. So you imagine you get all those people together and you throw some coffee into the mix. And, right. You know, let's see what happens. And, and the idea is because sometimes I think by the time I've had a, a genius idea, I know that probably thousands of other people have had the same idea. And then it has to reach critical mass. So I would imagine with all those wonderful brains working together in the same room, you must come up with some really great stuff. Yeah. yeah. What about women? Women in technology, because yeah. I know that you know we are struggling to have more women involved, and you're right up there in the forefront of that. So, how is that changing? Yeah, it's very important. I mean, it's something that is, um, you know, hard for me is that when I graduated as an undergrad, there was a big hullabaloo at, at MIT because I think they had admitted their first class of. I don't know, it was like one-third women, right? It was getting closer to 50 Ooh, 50, scary for right? them. <laughs> yeah, and we go, oh, you yeah. know, this is it, right? Right, right. And, 20 years later, right? 20 more plus more years later, we've inched it up maybe 3%, right? And Aww. people are like, ooh, wow, we've got uh, 18% women, right? You know? And, and and so it's something where we recognize that we need that diversity of thought yes. uh, to really have some of the great right. discoveries happen. Because if everybody's the same and they come from the same background and they think the same, great, you'll make one widget. Right. But, 
but you won't make all the different things that you didn't think of. Sure. And let's throw some lay people into the mix, too. Right. Because sometimes a regular person like myself Mm -hmm. might come up with something that all the brainiacs don't think of. That's right. So I say let's let everybody have a say. Somebody has to have the final say, of course. But I think when you're brainstorming, it's important to have many different points of view. How do you think we're doing as a nation, just to throw that at you, for getting women involved in technology? Well, those are, I mean, some of those numbers are the ones that are yeah. nationwide, right? So it's its rare that you see things over 20% female. And, and that's just female, right? We're not even talking some of the underrepresented minority groups. I mean, a lot of those are in single digits sometimes. And it, you know it's got to be tough if you are the only you know, African-American female PhD and, right. and you know, the department. Yes. It's not yes. an easy setting. You don't, you don't feel comfortable because yeah. you have no reference point. Right. Yeah, and I so we really that. need to get more women and minorities to understand um, what the possibilities are. I think the problem is that they don't, like yeah, I, I was going to ask you, what do you think the issue is, the core issue? Yeah, I think a lot of it is when you're 17, you have no idea. Right. <laughs> right. right, right, and someone might say mechanical engineering, and you think, "Oh, is that somebody that fixes the car or you know right. drives a train?" And it's right. like totally not that, right? Right. We're over fifty percent women, and and it's much better in terms of minority participation in medical. Makes There's sense. very little difference when you think about medical and and science and engineering in terms of sort of what you what you might be doing on a daily basis and what you might need to learn. Um, and yet somehow we haven't been able to um, get young women and young, mm. uh, you know, folks from underrepresented groups to realize that you could be designing that medical instrument that saves lives as well as if you wanted to be the doctor, you could do that, too. So how important do you think shadowing of peers is in a situation like that? Because if you don't see somebody do the job, most of us pick what our parents do for a living. Yeah. No shock there, right? My dad was a bread maker. I'm a bread maker. My cousin's a bread maker. You know, we yeah. all tend to go with what we know. Some of us don't. But I'm thinking if more people were exposed to what these jobs were, maybe they would want these jobs. Yeah, I think that's very true. I mean, you have to see it. Uh, not always, but for the most of us, right? You have to sort of see it to imagine it. Yes. And then and to realize that you could do that too. I think yes. that is important. And I think that's important reason why we have you on the show too, so that hopefully women listening, young women, all women actually, really, <laughs> um, you know, can be empowered to maybe try to do something a little different, yeah. try to do something different. So tell me about this fabric technology because I'm really excited about that. I yeah. know Dan when he was on Dan Stewart talked a little bit all about right. some of the fabric technology, and it sounded very Star Trek to me. <laughs> <laughs> so can you share right, with us? Uh, communicate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So can. Can you share with our listeners uh, some of the cool innovations, cool, (laughs) I'm using air quotes because they are cool in temperature, but cool in theory, too, uh, things that are being innovated? Yeah. Well, I'll I'll play on your cool word. One of the things that our faculty are working on is um, trying to create fibers that automatically respond to the temperature. Right. Okay. So you might have a piece of clothing and sure, on a day like today, you're going to wear lighter (laughs) clothing, but then you go into an AC. Right. And it's cold. And so usually what we have to do is to put things on and off. Uh, But you can imagine a fiber that changes its shape as the temperature changes. And so it might Hmm. expand to insulate you more if it gets cold. And then if it's hot, it'll shrink and they'll allow more airflow. 
So All right. that's one example. Well, that's interesting. It makes us more lazy. It seems like everything <laughs> it, does. It I does. won't even have to take a coat off. <laughs> right. Just right. press something or it will just know. Yeah. Okay. What about some of the medical advancements that are yeah. being made, which must be many because I know we're constantly coming up with newer and better ways to help people. Right, so. right, right. So there's everything from a lot of times now people are talking about uh, artificial organs, oh, right? right? I mean, right. we're not there yet, but a lot of times what you want to do is you start with a scaffold or a skeleton, right? And you grow the cells into that in order to create whatever it is that you're trying to to um, uh, produce in right. order to help somebody who, instead of having to rely on, let's say, ultimately an organ transplant from somebody right. else, you could create it using their own cells. Hmm. Okay. So you're saying you take some cells. This is real rudimentary here. <laughs> you put it somewhere and then you just construct an artificial heart from that? You, you, I mean, that's obviously wow. very complicated. Now, I don't personally She's going to go home and do that tonight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It'll be done tomorrow morning. Yeah. No, but, but that's what they do? Because I thought it was made out of plastic or other materials that would be okay for the human body. But you're saying we're actually using human tissue or cells to do this? Ultimately, that's what a lot of folks are trying to do because really? we know, um, you know, waiting for organs is a difficult challenge for people. And we don't have enough, right? So one way to do it and to avoid the rejection of the body wow. is to take the human, your own cells. And and it's this combination. I know Brad does a lot of 3D printing, mm. right? Yes. Yeah. Combination of mm. 3D printing, creating these textile. Because if you think about it, a lot of nature is in that textile fiber form. Right. If you Give look, me an example. You look at a tree, right? Okay. You look at the leaves. There's a lot of sort of fiber right. structures in order to transport nutrients, transport water. Makes sense. Right? Um, the tree itself, if you look at the wood in the tree, that itself has is made up of a very fiber-type structure. Okay, so the delivery system is what you're looking at. How does the tree deliver the nutrients to its parts? And then you try to replicate that right. when you build something. Right, right. Phew. Oh, Brad, I, I, You're I'm on exhausted fire. Keep going. <laughs> okay, but I'm really shocked they're using human cells to do that. Is the government okay with that? <laughs> yes, there's... there's uh, Julie says they're okay. They're okay. <laughs> they must right. be. <clears throat> because basically they're using, you know, when they're, what the hope is to, obviously they're, they're in a very experimental stage. Right, But the right. hope is to use your own cells. Right. Oh, okay. So, because that way you wouldn't, re- your body wouldn't reject it as being oh, something foreign. Oh, yes, that makes right? complete sense. So they sense. would extract cells okay. ultimately, right? This is in the okay. Yeah. So a new baby is born and they they get some cells extracted and they come with a little kit of extra parts. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Right. It's like the extra buttons. You got the on spare the shirt, parts. Right? I got two knees and a couple elbows. What do you got? I got you know an ankle. Wow. Well, yeah. that might be cool someday. Yeah. I'm not sure how I feel about that. Do you ever have moral reckonings with some of these projects that you work on? There is always, uh, you know, the th- the tricky thing about technology is. There are always opportunities for someone to use it for for bad reasons, right? I mean, yeah. no matter what you what we develop, you can always think of negative consequences. Right. Can you? Yes. Right? But should you? Is right? the thing. And, you know? and I think the key is that, and this is why we do need to have collaboration between the philosophers, the social scientists, and the scientists and the engineers, right? Because we need to be asking those questions sure. and say, how can we best protect against the negative right. while still allowing us to enhance and, and pursue the positive? Because right. the, the technology in itself, you know, there's lots of examples, right? You, the technology, you said uh, plastics and universal law, right? Right. 
plastic bags, right? Right now they're 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 like the the worst enemy yeah. to the yes, to the, the community. Evil right? villain, right. right? When they first started out, right? Sure. It was it saved a lot of energy. Oh my right? goodness, are you, you kidding? Used pennies of material. You didn't have to th- you know use the stuff that was heavy and used a sure. lot of energy. And so it's a it's an understanding now of how should we set up a system to let's say collect that in a way that it doesn't become you know right because we've learned from from all of the waste and the i don't even right. know how many miles it is a billion or trillion miles of plastic that's in the water systems now right, right? we've right. all read about that so yeah. but we didn't know that was going to happen right. and this is something i think about all the time when we create something we're excited about the creation which yeah. is great but there is always a byproduct to everything we make there is so i guess you have to look at you got to weigh the technology advancement versus what the side effects might be but if you don't know what they are right that's and you have the part to that freaks me out yeah i mean that's why you have to keep learning and if you think about it right the plastic product problem is not inherently a problem about the processing and making and use no. of that. It's a problem with people who just throw things away without right. thinking about it. Right? And the human element, though, mm-hmm. is a very huge factor in these problems. So you yes. can say, well, the product on its own would never. Right. But the right, humans right. that are using it, yes. we know we're the problem. <laughs> right, know right, that. right. That's but, why you need that, the social yeah, science. Yeah, that's why right? you need How the extra. How do we understand what, what people are going to do with this? Right. I right. mean, even look at asbestos. Okay. Yeah. Right. When that first right. came out when I was a kid, we put it on my house and my dad was thrilled because right. we saved hundreds in electricity and, right. you know, gas and whatever the heck right. we heat the house with, you know. And we find out years later, this is cancer causing. Right. You know, you've got five right. kids and you're living there and you're thinking everything's fine, but we didn't know. Right. Right. I sometimes wonder when we know how fast we tell everybody to, but that's uh, a podcast for another yeah, day. Yeah. Brad, I do want to jump back a little bit. Can you explain 3D printing and how it might work with the concept that Julie was talking about? So medical sciences? Yes. Yeah, so what uh, a use case I've heard with a neurosurgeon who took a scan, like an MRI scan, of the patient's brain and it could export that to a file a 3D printer would understand and then print a replica of the patient's brain so he could practice on that kind of wow. topography of now that I person's Now I kind of like that idea because if my surgeon is doing my surgery on my brain, I kind of want to yeah. know he's done it once or twice <laughs> right. before. <laughs> and I guess everybody's brain must be shaped a speck differently when sure. it comes out of your own head. Different shapes, so right? maybe there are things in there the 3D printing mm-hmm. could show that you couldn't see I know sometimes when they're taking, uh, you know, topography or they're doing different tests, mm-hmm. they can always see things the way they want to. So that might eliminate that issue. You can turn it around. A lot of the down, images are just 2D, right? So that's yeah. one of the issues with like X-rays. Is sometimes it's a shadow, sometimes it's a tumor, and you can't see that in 2D. Hmm. Very fascinating. What else is coming up, Julie, that we should be aware of in the technology world? Like a big hot button item that we can be excited about. Yeah, so I think uh, something that I think everybody's sort of uh, looking at, right, is is in the robotics area, oh, right? Yeah. So everybody's talking about driverless cars, mm-hmm. and, and and we all have uh, whatever oh, either no. Alexa, Google at our houses now, yes, and things like yes. that, right? So I I think one of the things that we're seeing, and it's not just the robotics, but it's we're seeing it through all the technology, is it's changing to become more human oriented right which means that we're changing the shape the structure the format how we interact with it so that um it's more seamless in our day-to-day lives is that a good thing though you know, I watch a lot of movies about yeah, yeah. these kinds of things where these yeah. androids look like real people and people lose children and they replace them with these androids. I stay up late watching all this stuff. <laughs> and I'm worried about making it more human will make us less aware of the responsibility. 
Well, but you're talking about more human in terms of physical form, right? Correct. I, I think what you will see is more human in the sense that uh, if you talk about the manufacturing floor, okay, right, there's a lot of parts of that assembly mm. where it's very beneficial for a human to be working side by side with a robot. A robot, And the robot's right. not in human form because why bother right. to make right. it that And you know what? We shouldn't in that situation because right. right. who wants to be working next to a robot? Right. I don't. Right. But boy, if you know, you have to uh, every day, right, drill a hole in a precise location, sure. you know, a thousand times a day, it'd be nice to have someone else do that. And you yes. do this stuff that takes a little bit more variety. Yes. A little bit more thought to it. Okay. And so so let, me, let me say this to you then. Okay. So we do that, but then that means that the guy who used to do that now no longer has a job, right? And the other piece to that is the guy that used to do that job probably needs rotor cuff surgery from years of <laughs> using his arm that way. Right. So he's feeling better now because he no longer does that job. Yes. So that gives the occupational therapy people some work. <laughs> but it puts the other guy... It's guys, all connected. So it's, it's all connected. Yeah, it's all connected. <laughs> kind of yes. like trickle down. Yes. You know, it makes me wonder about the responsibility yeah. of all these things. Because, I, you know, just because you can dream it up doesn't right. mean you should do it. True. But so. that example in terms of the, you know, the the worry about losing the job and things right. like that. I think that um, we need to, and that's where the education comes in, okay. right? And the lo- we talked about earlier, lifetime learning, right? Sure. Keep learning about stuff. I think that is so important because, uh, you know, I and I think about some of the really tough jobs, right? The coal miners, the person right. who spends all day drilling. I mean, really, we should be trying to move everybody up into better and better jobs, right? Yes. And, and so... Yes, that means that we have a responsibility to provide that person whose job it was to drill a hole, you know, a thousand times a day with some sort of training so that maybe they're the ones that are repairing the robot arm or that operating breaks. the machine, or operating telling it the what rob- to do. Tell- right. Yes, yes. Okay. But that means that the people who are in the trenches right now would have to be open to that concept. And that's yes. another little bit of an issue because yeah. we talked about, Brad, about the situation with the toll takers. Yeah. You want to talk yeah. about that? Similar story? thing, right. right? So the automated tolls on uh, the Mass Pike put a lot of people out of work. Yeah. I will give the Department of Transportation uh, credit for trying to retrain a lot of those tool takers and put them in other depart- areas of the department. Yeah. Now, they couldn't do every they, There wasn't enough room in, in the department for everybody. But I, I, I'm encouraged by that step, by the right. fact that that's a thought process. And I want to back up a little bit to what you guys are saying about the, the ethics of yes, technology. Yes, yes. And I've really, it kind of goes hand in hand with that kind of stuff, right? right. Instead of like focusing on an unemployment office, once you have a retraining office, something oh, like that. Right. And I've heard it on multiple tech podcasts where when people are getting the degree, the training should include ethics. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. just because you can't do something doesn't mean you should. Right. And and I think that people need it's not that's not an easy question. No. And so if you yeah. don't ask yourself that yeah. question at the it's very tough. least, you're never gonna know how you respond to it. And right. so that needs to be uh, rolled into the training, rolled into part of a development process for any kind of new technology because you need it because right. it, it, you're affecting so many more people by what you're doing. And so you need to think of those people, right. not not the technology or the money or whatever other driving force you have. You have to think of the greater good, right? right. Being and done to get too altruistic there. Yeah. And but you may be true. long gone yeah. by the time whatever happens from the technology you created 
implodes. Right. You might not even right. be here. The guys right. that made the paper bags, right. not paper bags, the plastic bags yeah. probably right. aren't alive anymore, the guys that first did that. And aren't they laughing all the way to the bank, <laughs> right? Because they've already made their yeah, the, situation. Yeah. <laughs> so, Julie, I know we talked a little bit before we got on the air about uh, lifelong learning, but also about classroom learning versus mm. outside of the classroom yeah. learning. And you have a unique take on that. Let's talk about that a little bit. Yeah, and I'm not sure that it's unique, but it's something that I think is important to me personally, and it's something that we stress a lot about UMass Law, right, is the idea that you want that interaction of what you learn in the classroom, what you learn from the from the textbooks, and getting that a hands-on experience outside. Because part of that is, you know, you get exposed to some of these ethic, ethical conditions, right? And, and having that exposure does make you think a little more and, and understand what you might have to consider when you're right. faced with, when you're at the point where you're the decision maker, right? right. Um, and also the hands-on piece of it is important because it's a, we were talking earlier, right? It's, it's, a, it's a lot different to uh, watch a surgery on, yes, on, yes, on YouTube yes, and yes. say, oh, I could I do got that. that. Right? Sure, this looks easy. Right. Right? Yeah. yeah. And also, yeah. I think the, the tactile sense of actually and the feeling of accomplishment from taking something apart and putting it back together yourself, yeah. I think you learn a lot from doing that. Do. See, I went to a vocational school, so we did a lot of hands-on learning. We had internships out in the field, mm-hmm. and I think that's really important. I also think it helps you find out what you want to do. Yes, because you might so. say, hey, I really like this piece, but I don't like this piece, and that's how you choose your career path, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah because uh, you know, I talked to a lot, of, well, not as much now in my role, but when I was teaching a lot, I talked to a lot of freshmen, right? And I said, why did you pick your major? Mm. And the answers were, you know, you'd be amazed at what the answers were. There was are, a right? really cute guy next right, to me. Right, right. <laughs> my, friend, my friend signed yeah. up for this. Or, yeah, you know, yeah. And, and so having, as you say, that exposure to yeah. what does this really look like? What kind of thing could I, would I be doing right. helps people to decide both I really like this or mm, this is, you know, this is interesting, but it's not for me. And I think it's whatever gets the press, too. Like, let's face yeah. it, you know, movie stars, singers, yeah. athletes, that's kind of what we've put on the pedestal. Not yeah. we in this room, but, you know, some people out there put them on a pedestal, and that leaves the other professions. How do you get the word out yeah. what a mechanical engineer does? Right. Well, you have a science fair, and people see that, but that seems somewhat niche to me. So mm-hmm. I do think we need more Bill Nye the Science Guy type stuff, podcasts like this, yeah. people getting out there sharing stuff so you know what's available. Right. Because if right. you don't know what's available, how are you going to know what you want to do? Right. Right. So uh, I'll, I'll kind of back up to one of the first topics that we had as a way to, uh, to segue into that is uh, the library has the Girls of Code project, right? And so that's kind of an attempt to bridge that gender gap that we were talking about earlier. And in those cases, they have the opportunity to get their hands on some coat and hope to bridge that, that, that gap. And so it's uh, look around, right? You look around to libraries and, mm-hmm. and colleges and even uh, just nonprofit organizations to kind of uh, get some exposure. Right. And I, I hope that the climate has changed. In my generation, it was girls shouldn't do certain jobs. Yeah. Now you couldn't. It was a shouldn't more. I hope that feeling of you shouldn't has changed some. Julie, do you think it has? A little, you know a what little I mean? Bit. Not that I know, you can't, because right, we've all heard right, a thousand right. times. Oprah's even said, you can be anything you want. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah that yeah. might be true, and that's yeah. lovely. Yeah. But I don't know yeah. if people feel like they should yeah. go towards these uh, male-dominated fields. You know, I, I think that uh, it's certainly better, right? And programs like Girls Who Code does, does give uh, girls a chance to see and realize that they can do it and they don't have to be like some brilliant, you know, Einstein in order to go into these fields, right? That right. They're, they're, they have all the skills to be able to do it. Um, I think that we, we do still, though, need to 
have people understand and view those careers as something that really does help help the public. I mean, that's one thing we've heard, right? A lot of a lot of girls when they choose, they go, "Oh, I want something that is going to help the right. the, the nurturing right? feeling, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. and and that's why I think the medical field appeals, right? I'm going to help sure. cure people. And I think one of the messages we haven't done a good job of getting out is how, as a scientist and an engineer, you can be on the forefront of of uh, helping a lot of people, whether or right. not it's a medical, whether it's the environment, right? Whether it's helping people after disaster, right? A lot of those solutions are scientific and engineering solutions. But they just don't get the credit. What happens is you, you know, the guy, it's true, right? <laughs> Julie's laughing, but you, it's true. You know, the guy stands up and he says, oh, yeah. I did this great thing. And you as the engineers at home yeah. are going, but we were the ones yeah. who made all that stuff. So you could flip that switch, right? Right. right. So, right. you know, maybe giving a little more credit out there might help folks to see that this didn't just appear in a vacuum. Yeah. You know, it takes a while for these things to appear, right? Yeah. I yeah. don't know. What do you think about that, Brad? Yeah, I think that you have to you have to do some legwork on your own, right? As a viewer, as someone who is being presented this material, you have to you can't take anything at face value anymore. I know. And so you have to kind of look past the the talking head, right? You have right. to see like right. who else was involved in this and do some research because most of the stuff uh, that is uh, present worthy, right, is going to be public data on that kind of stuff. And so you kind of have to do some homework, do some reading. And, right. uh, and, and then tell everybody else on your Facebook page, yes. hey, it wasn't just this one guy, right? There's a lot more people involved sure. in this process. And now it's time for your technology tidbit, food for thought. All right, so we didn't really get into nano manufacturing, which is one of Julie's Ooh. other fortes. But, but we can right after this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but my, the food for thought kind of bridges the gap between both of our worlds. So according to an article in The Guardian from 2016, the smallest book in the world was created by Vladimir Aniskin. It's, he's Russian. I brutalized his name, and I'm apologizing. Um, and it measures 70 by 90 micrometers. Uh, and the book contains the Russian alphabet, and so you need an electron microscope to read this book. Okay. So my question would be, <laughs> why? Because he can't. I guess, right? <laughs> this guy needs to go work with Julie. Right. Too much time on his hands there. So you want to talk about some nano manufacturing? You want to do that? Uh, just yeah, a, Tell me what that sure. is. Yeah. Well, it really is trying to understand how to, instead of taking a big block of steel and imagine machining it away to sure. create something, right? It's how to control material at that atomic level. Oh, in wow. order to have it assemble the way that okay. you would want so it to. So you're saying before you're doing the recipe, you're unthawing the butter differently? Is that what that's, you're saying? Yeah, that's, a, that's, See, I that's love right. My little and, 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 you know, when you're mixing the butter with the brown sugar, yes. right, instead of doing it at a very coarse level, you're doing it each individual brown sugar granule with, you wow. know, a little bit of butter. And so, so every piece is exactly right. right. <laughs> so what's the advantage to doing that? It changes the molecular structure of whatever you're making. Yep. So what does it do? So there's there's a couple different things that it does. One, one is that um, you can make things a lot smaller. Okay. Right? So if you think about it, the first computer. Right filled more than a room, right, right? Right, Then it was, okay, maybe half of a yeah. room, right. maybe now it's your desktop, right? And now we carry it in our pockets, right? <sighs> That's possible because we're shrinking everything down to I, small I and still don't sizes. get how that works. You said something about Moore's Law earlier, yes, right? And yes. that's nanomanufacturing. You're able to fit a number of transistors 
on the CPU. I still, they're in like yeah. it's they're so small. It now. just boggles yeah. my mind because I just picture someone with a little tiny uh, what is that thing called soldering iron. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's not how yeah. it works. But I just picture somebody with like tweezers and a magnifying glass <laughs> trying to get them all to fit on there. Why is that a good thing? Because it makes the technology faster, right, Brad? Yeah. This is that's basically it's funny because you, you think about small as in right. not much there, right? But when you're talking about getting these small transistors on the chip, it's just you know, brute force. You're throwing millions of transistors at it. So it's just more the more the better, the more the faster. Supposedly. I guess, I guess. <laughs> what will we be using some of this nano, nano manufacturing for? We talked earlier about cars, so I guess it'll be mm-hmm. changing metals and adding things to them to make them rubbery metal? I yeah. don't know. Yeah. You know Actually, what I mean? That, that is a, that Nicely is done. Yeah. What can I right. say? You know? Be, because one of the things that we, we try to do is that blending of different properties, right? So uh, a metal that is strong, but it's it sort of could be brittle, so you want to add something in to make it more flexible and rubbery so that if you're in a crash, wow. right, it, it doesn't so it is kind of like making a recipe. It's sort of like taking the original recipe and saying, well, I don't like the way grandma's meatballs tasted, so I'm going to try something a little different. <laughs> right, it's right. kind of like that. Have you, have you had anything crazy happen? Things blow up or things turn into things that you didn't expect? Uh, so so there's certainly been some examples, not me personally, but there have been some faculty that do a lot of work with uh, modifying surfaces of oh. materials. Right. So it, it was definitely one of these things of, Oh look, we can modify the surface. What is it going to be good for, right? <laughs> and and um, uh, so they started talking to people, and and one of the things they came up with was if you modify this, uh, put this on the wing of an airplane, you don't have to use de-icing fluid. Ooh. Uh-huh. So you know it's nice well, and hot today, good. but come February you're right. sitting on the tarmac, <laughs> yeah. and you know you got to wait one more <laughs> cycle because they got to de-ice the plane. I right? do think about that sometimes. Some of the things you create, you probably wonder what is this going to be used for, but you and really don't know ultimately what when you first create it you might not know right and then, and then it's just a matter of talking to people and saying hey you know someone comes along and says hey can it do this and you go I don't know yeah <laughs> and then and I, you know and then I think of these four other scientists in all their labs all over the country wishing for whatever thing it is you've created yeah. that's why the collaboration piece is so important and not yeah. just in this country but I would imagine worldwide they must have symposiums that yeah. you all go to for worldwide technology type yeah. stuff right yeah definitely international because it's, it's silly to think that we're the the only uh-huh. ones that can come up with good ideas, right? right. So, the, so the best ideas come when people from different disciplines, people from different institutions, people from different countries get together and just, you know, share ideas. Yes. And then test market it with people like me. Yeah. Say, would you, <laughs> so if I, we could build this, would you want it? Right? Yeah. <laughs> is, it, is it safe? Is it going to double over the next month? Am I not going to know how to use it after a week? Because that's what's so frustrating to me. Anything final, Julie? Such a fun time having you yeah, here today. Thank, Anything thank final you, you want to share? Thank you, Brad. No, this has been a All lot right. of fun. And, Good. And, uh, you know, I hope if anybody has um, any questions or has some ideas, there's, there's so many brilliant faculty up at UMass Lowell, and there's a lot of students that are working with them and, and getting a lot of that hands-on experience. Yes, so. and it's never too late. Never, yeah. ever too late. Yeah. You can always learn more, do more, until the end of time, really, yeah. until your time is up, right? right? Brad, anything final you want to tell the folks before we say goodbye today? Uh, so I don't want to end on too much of a bummer note, but when you guys were talking about getting different kinds of mindsets into the field of technology, yes. I just read a really great book by Emily Chang oh. called Brotopia, and it's really dissecting why the tech culture is is so white male straight. Uh, it's, a, it's, it's a tough hmm. read, but huh. it's really good because it kind of, 
you, I want I want women and girls and minorities and all these people to get into technology because you're going to get better results from the technology by having a diverse set of people creating it. So right. it's, a re- it's a tough read because it's t- Silicon Valley is not nice to anybody who's still, not like me, unfortunately. You're still having that problem. But still. I think I think oh. it's great because this book is out there. This book written. And, and it's so, exposing y- So them. like, right, so The Girls Who Code is showing the girls of today how to work as women as tomorrow. And books like Brotopia are saying, be careful. I mean, you need to be in there. We need you in there. But just right. be careful. Interesting. So it's, it's a really good book. And, oh. of course, I'm a librarian, so I had to throw right. something no, in there. No, that's great. That's <laughs> great. And I'm sure you'll put on the companion page, which you're going to tell folks what that is. I'm yes. sure you'll put that information. So tell folks about that. Sure. So we have uh, there's going to be a little more information, further reading, because we want people to lifelong learners. It's going to be at uh, wilmlibrary.org slash BDD, Bridging the Digital Divide. And I will put uh, more stuff that we talked about here, a link to that in our catalog, so you can check it out. And um, there's going to be a comment section, as always. And if you have any comments on this show or suggestions of future topics, please let us know. Wonderful. All right. Well, that concludes our first episode of Season 2 of Bridging the Digital Divide. We have another exciting guest coming on in a couple of weeks. We'll share that with you when he comes to visit. And we're thanking Julie for spending so much time with us. I can't wait to see what you create. Maybe someday (laughs) there'll be the Chen something that I'll get to use and I'll say I know you. And thanks again, Brad. Thank you, the library, for lending him to us all the time so we can learn about all this jazzy stuff. All right. Well, keep listening. Thanks again. And we'll be with you soon.